We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we've started looking at the section from verse 17, which goes into chapter 3, where Paul is defending his ministry from criticism, and what he's doing specifically here is explaining why he had to run away from them after only three weeks of ministry. And we looked last time at the paragraph from verse 17 of chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians to chapter 20. But I don't want to leave this chapter without considering a phrase in the second half of verse 18. Can you see it? Paul says in verse 18, we wanted to come to you. We concentrated on that last time. Paul had a pastor's heart towards uh, his flock. Even though they were still spiritually in fellowship, he longed to see them face to face. There's nothing like face to face fellowship. I'm sure we're realizing that as we're gradually coming back after lockdown. So Paul says in verse 18, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, and this is the phrase I want us to consider, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul talks about the activity of Satan. So it's not just God working by his spirits. But there's a devil. And Satan does not want to see God's kingdom advance. So the devil will do all in his power to hinder a work of God. Now, unfortunately, we're living in times in evangelical circles now where we're not aware of that dimension, not as much as we should be. Now, of course, there's the opposite danger where some believers can be obsessed about the devil. They see the devil in everything. Now, that's not healthy either. We must remember that Jesus Christ is king and he is overruling even when the devil is seeking to hinder the work of the gospel. And there are times, aren't there? Uh, we have, uh, before Paul uh, got to Thessalonica, that it wasn't Satan who stopped Paul and Silas from carrying on preaching where they were in Turkey, but it was the Holy Spirit who closed the door. So we need great discernment to know when God is shutting the door to when we maybe are just too lazy to get on and do the work to when there's satanic hindrances. Now, this is the area which, with fear and trembling, I want us to consider briefly tonight. We're not going to be able to deal with it fully, but just to be aware that we're in a battle and that we have an enemy, and that the enemy is far stronger than you or I can ever be. 
but he is not more powerful than our Saviour. And uh, I believe it is right for us to look at these satanic hindrances. Uh, Paul wrote uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul was aware of the kind of battle that he was in. And writing to the Corinthians, Paul said, we are not ignorant of his devices. We shouldn't be naive as Christians when it comes to this dimensions. Again, I hope that Thomas Brooks is excellent book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, will be knocked down in the sale. Satan. Before we look at these hindrances, what does the word Satan mean? He's a person. He's not a force. He's a fallen angel. It means the adversary, the enemy. This is an interesting one. The father of lies. We'll see how that applies in a moment to his hindrances. The father of lies. Half-truths. The accuser of the brethren. The prince of darkness. Those are the kind of things we're thinking of in the spiritual battle when Satan hinders and then the word hinder is a very interesting word. It talks about thwart. In the Greek, it means if you've got a road, think of the Roman roads that they had in Paul's day, as straight as anything and very well built. But if you had a road that wasn't well built and the road would be broken up and that would hinder travel along the road. Now, thankfully, uh, we don't have that problem here in Cardiff, although at times you wondered if King George V Drive fitted that category. But in some parts of the world where they don't have tarmac roads, uh, in the rainy season, for example in India, it's well nigh impossible to travel great distances by road in the countryside because the road has been broken up. It's all slush. So that's an interesting way of thinking about it. So what we've got to ask ourselves this evening is how does Satan break up, thwart, hinder a work of grace? And as we go through some of these examples, we'll also be trying to answer the question, how can we deal with them? Know your enemy, but you don't stop at that. Know your enemy in order to overcome your enemy. What exactly were the hindrances to Paul going back to Thessalonica? We don't know. Possibly the devil was stirring up persecution in the city, stopping Paul from being granted uh, a permission, a visa as it were, to attend again. Could it have been an illness that Paul had? We, we don't know. But what I want to do this evening is just open up this subject of satanic hindrances and seek to see other examples from the Bible and how we can learn from those examples 
recognizing uh, them and seeking to deal with them in a biblical way. So let's just go through. I've just got a number of examples and then we'll be done. The first set of hindrances are what I would call illnesses, disappointments, frustrations. Now again, we must be careful here. We don't see the devil in everything. So you don't come to the conclusion that the devil is attacking you if you're suddenly taken ill, right? But there are examples in the Bible of God's people being struck down by illness and the devil being involved. Now, the most famous example is Job. Uh, We know the story, don't we, of Job, how Job was a model believer. He was a righteous man. And the devil came to God and said to God, look, Job is only making a stand for godliness because everything is going well for him. If you let me attack Job, then you will see that he will crumble. And God, this is important, God is the one in charge, not the devil, when you look at the life of Job. And God allows the devil to have a go at Job. The devil is on a leash, isn't he? And God, the Father, is holding the leash. And so what happens to poor Job? Well, we know the accounts. Uh, A messenger comes to Job and tells him that his sons have been killed in an accident. What a horrible experience to have to go through. And then another messenger uh, comes and says that Job has lost all his goods. Again, what a blow, what a disappointment. And then another thing happens to him. Uh, We're told that he was afflicted with a horrible illness. We don't know what it was, but he was uh, inflicted with a rash that uh, caused him to itch. It's just one thing after another. And then, uh, to add salt to the wound, his wife says to him, Job, God hasn't been fair with you. Go on, Job. Curse God. Curse God. Now, the devil was behind those disappointments and that horrible illness that Job suffered. And yet, we know the end of the story, don't we? Job didn't at the time. Poor Job, when he was in the storm, couldn't see a way out. But Job is famous now. Do you know what Job is famous for? You have heard of the patience of Job. You see, the devil thought he was going to get Job to crumple and dishonor would come upon the name of God. But instead of that, Job wasn't perfect. We're all human beings. But when these attacks came, disappointment after disappointment, illness, Job's wife, Job held his ground. And through patience, he became even godlier. I like the way Spurgeon puts it. For he know the patience of Job and 
you would not have known it if Satan had not illuminated it with a blaze of flaming trials. The trial through which Job passed brought out the luster of his endurance in submission to God. Isn't that lovely? Listen, my friends, I don't know if you will ever suffer the same thing as Job. None of us will probably suffer to the degree that he did. But I can think back of some of the godliest people I've been privileged to know. And I can say one thing about some of their lives. They had one difficulty after another. I'm not attributing all of those to the devil. But, oh, you can see sometimes how the fire of trial has purified their faith and caused them to come through even more shiny for the Lord. I know we don't sing shine, Jesus, shine, but there's an element of truth in that, that as the dross is removed by the fire of affliction, the treasure of Jesus Christ shines more and more. We don't wish illness or difficulties upon anybody. I heard of one uh, Christian. Uh, he was um, being visited by his pastor. I won't do this to any of you. I don't think Andy will either. And uh, this um, man was asking his pastor, oh pastor, please pray that I may be more patient. And so the pastor said, let's pray then. And the pastor prayed according to Romans 5. Oh, Lord, our brother here wants to learn more patience. I pray that you will send him affliction because uh, through affliction uh, comes patience. Affliction worketh patience. We don't wish that upon anybody. But God is overruling. Now, let's think of a New Testament example. You may say to me, well, things were different in the Old Testament, but there is a New Testament example of a man of God being ill and that illness, I think it's an illness, it could have been something else. But the Apostle Paul, he described something as a messenger of Satan. Do you know where I'm referring to? 2 Corinthians 12. The man who wrote, Satan hindered us, knew exactly what he was talking about. And in 2 Corinthians 12, and it was in Corinth that Paul resided when he wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica. And even there, he was experiencing some of these satanic attacks. And what he mentions here is a thorn in the flesh. Uh, he calls it a messenger of Satan. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he's had an experience of the Lord. He's been raised to the third heaven. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, what that was, we don't know, but it could very possibly have been a chronic illness. We know from the letter to the Philippians that Paul suffered from an eye condition, a very painful eye condition, and that might well have been what God allowed the devil to afflict Paul with. It could have been uh, disappointments, uh, there were difficulties in the church at Corinth. They were dividing over nearly everything. Uh, it could have been something to do with Paul's personality. Uh, maybe he was suffering from some sorts of depression. 
We don't know. But what we do know is that this affliction was so getting Paul down that it was hindering him from getting on with the work. And I'm Paul, Paul, I'm sure, was thinking, if only I didn't have this thorn in the side, I'd be running after the Savior. And he prayed again and again that the Lord would remove it. And God said, no, I'm not going to, Paul. I'm going to leave it there. But Lord, I could be doing far much more for you if I didn't have this horrible thing in my side. You may well uh, do more for me, Paul, but you'll be doing it in your own strength if that's the case. Paul, I'm going to leave that there so that you're aware of your weakness and being aware of your weakness, you're going to glory in my strength. And you're going to learn the lesson the hard way that my grace is sufficient. And haven't we learned that lesson in the same way? Again, we're not attributing sicknesses and disappointments necessarily to the devil, but we are all coming to the same place, aren't we? My grace is sufficient for you, says God. My power is made perfect, not in human strength, but in human weakness. So this is the first area of satanic hindrances. Don't attribute everything in this area to Satan. But he does use sickness. There's a place to pray if we hear of missionaries or preachers especially who are suddenly afflicted with sickness. There is a place to pray that the devil might be thwarted. I know some of you do that. Disappointments, all sorts of things in that area. Let's move to a second category of hindrances. This is a bit more uh, difficult. These are temptations, attacks. I'm thinking especially here of the words of Paul in Ephesians 6, the fiery darts of the wicked one. Have you ever had those come at you? Now, we must be careful here. Often, we fall into sin because the temptation comes from the flesh. The uh, carnal, sinful, old nature. And when that's the case, there is a gradual dallying with temptation. You know what I mean, don't you? We just play it over until eventually we give in and yield and fall into sin. Now, that's not of the devil. And we must be careful that we don't blame the devil for our falling into sin. There's a blues song. The devil made me do it. Oh, no, no. You fall into sin because you are a responsible being. And you willingly yield. But, and this is a big but, there is a difference between temptation that comes from our own flesh and us dallying with it, and it happens gradually, to thoughts suddenly put into our heads. That's Satan. That's Satan. There's a famous quote, isn't there? Is it Luther who said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head? but you can stop them from nesting in it. 
what do we do? We recognize that those horrible thoughts, and they can be all sorts of thoughts. You can be in the pulpit preaching. You can be in prayer. You can be just getting on with something completely different. And then this is not something that comes from within that you gradually play with. It's something that just comes as a bolt out of the blue. You might have a blasphemous thought. You might have an unclean thought. You might have a thought about another person, an unkind thought. And you've just got to recognize that's the devil. That's no no uh, thought of mine. Let, let me just quote Jesus Christ. Uh, he was warning his disciples, wasn't he? And he was saying, look, the prince of uh, the uh, power of this world is going to uh, have the upper hand be- before uh, I'm crucified and I'm going to die. And Peter, uh, the leader of the twelve, stood up and said, Lord, I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to follow you even unto death. Poor Peter didn't realize what he was doing. And Jesus said, Satan, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. This hindering, this breaking. But I have prayed for thee. I like it in the authorised version because it emphasises the singular. I have prayed for thee personally that your faith fail not. God won't allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. Do you believe that? However fierce the thoughts. I know the devil can have a foothold in us because of the weakness of the flesh. However weak our flesh may be, God will not allow any of us to be tempted more than we can bear. He's provided a way out. Jesus Christ in the deserts. I find it quite interesting that often before an important development in the work of God, the devil will attack. So Jesus Christ, before he began his public ministry, Uh, endured a time of intense spiritual attack in the deserts, Satan tempting him. And how did Satan do that? He came quoting scripture. And what did Jesus do? He resisted him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Another key moment is when we're first seeking the Lord. Have you read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? You've all read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, haven't you? No. No? You've got to read it. (laughs) That's another book that's got to be on knockout discounts. In that book, Christian, do you know when Christian is about to knock on the gates? Which is a picture of praying and being converted There's a castle nearby where the devil is and he's firing arrows at everybody who's trying to knock at the door. I found this to be the case. Those who are seeking the Lord are often attacked by Satan. Uh, You who are Christians, when you've been burdened to pray for somebody or if you've been seeking the Lord for an outpouring of the spirits, I know of groups in this church that have been doing that for years and some of them are not meeting anymore 
And part of that reason is the devil wants to break such prayer groups up. He doesn't want Christians praying. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest saints upon his knees. It doesn't surprise us when we hear about evangelical churches no longer having a midweek prayer meeting. That's what the devil wants. And the devil doesn't want Heath Church to make the Wednesday prayer meeting the powerhouse of our church. But the devil isn't going to have the upper hand in this place. So what do we do? We do what Jesus did when the devil tempted him. The devil comes twisting scripture and we resist him in the faith. We resist him with a word. A word will quickly slay him. I like these verses. I've written them. Uh, in my notebooks over the years, I've quoted some of them already. James 5, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. All you've got to do is stand. It's tough, but what a promise to hold on to. And then 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. Think of the steadfastness of our queen. Isn't she amazing to have lasted all these decades, steadfast service, resist him steadfast in the faith. And then Ephesians six sixteen, taking up the shield of faith, whereby you will be able to resist the fiery darts of the wicked one. So that's a second area, personal attacks, temptations, and to Endure satanic attack is one of the most horrible experiences a Christian can go through. And then finally and quickly, the devil can hinder in a more general way by opposing the work, uh, opposing uh, the work of a church. Think of a gospel-believing church. Think of a church where the gospel is not just faithfully preached Sunday after Sunday, but in all the outreach meetings of the church. It's the gospel that is going out. Think of a church that has godly people seeking to live lives worthy of the gospel. Think of a church where those believers are not content with the spiritual state of things, but are seeking the Lord for an outpouring of the Spirit. Think of a church that is not just inward-looking, but is looking out, not just to the other churches in Wales, but to churches all around the world. Think of a church that has a reputation for simple preaching of Jesus Christ and seeking to do that in the power of the Spirit. If I was the devil, I wouldn't want such a church to thrive. I would want to attack it and to cause it to come to naught. And it shouldn't surprise us if the gospel is going forward, even in a day of small things, that the devil will try to stop that. He will oppose it with all his might. And there are two ways I want to note uh, that he does this. Two ways. In Thessalonica, he was doing it from the outside. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean persecution. In Thessalonica, the devil stirred up the religious leaders and planted hatred in their hearts to go to the Roman authorities to try and get them to prosecute those Christians. 
And the devil has done that again and again and again. The devil did it with Jesus Christ having to stand before Pilate. The devil had entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. The devil was involved, I believe, in the religious leaders trying to get Jesus tried for treason. And the devil couldn't stop Jesus Christ. He thought he'd won by getting Jesus to be condemned as a criminal. But the moment that the devil thought he'd won, Jesus Christ won the victory, snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. And ever since that time, the devil has tried to thwart the preaching of the gospel. He continued to stir the Jewish leaders, trying to stop the early church from spreading the gospel. But it didn't work. The more the devil tried to stir up persecution, the more the church grew. And the devil wasn't content with that. The church was spreading across the Roman Empire. And Caesar was getting worried. And the devil caused one Caesar after another to try and stop the church by making it illegal to be Christian and by causing Christians to be martyred and they thought that that would stop but it wouldn't the church mushroomed the more the devil has tried to stop the church by persecuting it the more the church has developed praise God it's happened century after century possibly the more recent examples would be in communist countries under the communists they thought that they could extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit. But rather than doing that, they were simply making believers more fervent. The churches in Romania and Moldova and I'm sure Ukraine, they were in the Soviet Union, weren't they, at that time? There was a spiritual revival going on. And in China, when the missionaries were thrown out uh, towards the middle of the 20th century, people were worried that the church was going to suffer, but it didn't. It just exploded because God was in charge. So the devil will seek to attack from the outside. That's what he was doing in Thessalonica. Stopping Paul, the authorities stopping Paul. I can see a day coming when we are stopped from going to India if we're going there to preach. Militant Hinduism is on the increase. But I just want to concentrate as I come to a conclusion, not on the attacks from the outside, but on the attacks from the inside. Because the devil is subtle, isn't he? He can transform himself. He's a roaring lion when he's thwarting the work from the outside. But he can transform himself into an angel of lights. And this is where the prince of darkness and the father of lies comes into play. Let me just give you a few examples. We had in the reading Tobias and Sanballat. Nehemiah was God's man rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and the work was going great. It was about to be finished and the enemy stirred up these two noblemen and they wanted to have a meeting with Nehemiah and it sounded all so good. But their purpose wasn't to encourage Nehemiah. It was to discourage him. And Nehemiah recognized that this was a hindrance. And he said, didn't he? I can't come down. I am involved in a great work. Do you realize sometimes when the devil is distracting and trying to hinder you from doing the work that God has called you to do? And failing that they stirred up other important people uh, by getting Nehemiah to be afraid and his hands hanging down and stopping the work 
but Nehemiah saw it and he said, should such a man as I flee? I know there's a time to stand and a time to flee, but the devil, the devil can come from within and he can be ever so plausible. Let me give you another example. There was um, false teachers in Paul's day, towards the end of Paul's life. He was writing in 2 Timothy about false teachers. And you know what example he gave from the Old Testament of the false teachers in the New Testament? Janes and Jambres, the two that opposed Moses. So when Moses, uh, with uh, God's empowerment, uh, was making all sorts of signs, doing miracles. Janus and Jambres produced the same results, up to a point, up to a point. And the devil can sow all sorts of seeds of confusion by duplicating a work of God. The devil is the best counterfeiter in the world, but he can't counterfeit one thing. Do you know what? He can never counterfeit the fruit of the spirits. Do you want to know if a work is of God? You don't ask how sound the work is. The devil can cause people to be sound. You don't ask how active the work is. The devil is the most active of people. You ask, where is the fruit of the spirits? Because the devil can't replicate the fruits of the spirits. And uh, I've, I've really got to come to a conclusion here. The devil can attack as a prince of darkness. Uh, when Paul uh, and Barnabas were preaching on Cyprus, there was Elimas, the magician, not from within uh, the church, more from the outside. But I remember during the blessing that Mr. Hyam experienced, there were two witches, were there, sitting in this church, and it took Arthur Neal the discernment to recognise that. I don't know about you, Andy, but there are certain parts of Mid and West Wales where I sense an, an oppression. And we know that there are witches' covens in those areas. So that the devil can uh, resist a work and oppose a work in that way. We must pray against these things. My time is running out. I just want... I just want to ask one thing as I come to a conclusion. Uh, before I ask that question, there's one other thing I need to mention. The devil can even use God's own people to thwart the work. Do you think I'm going too far? Something else Jesus said to Simon Peter. When Jesus first said to the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be risen from the dead. Do you know what Simon said to him? Full of concern. Lord, you mustn't go. You mustn't go. With the best of intentions, he said that. And do you know what Jesus said? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, if Satan can use a Simon Peter, he can, he can use you and me. Sometimes, you know, what we've got to be careful of are Christians with the best of intentions not having the spiritual discernments to see which way the Spirit is blowing. William Carey, if one godly man had had his way, William Carey would not have gone to India. 
Because when William Carey, as a young man, shared the burden that God had given to him to go to India, it was unheard of at the time, to take the gospel there. A godly man, was it John Ryland? He said to William Carey, sit down, young man. If God means to convert the heathen, he'll send somebody. And he didn't realize that God was calling William Carey. Oh, my friends, we must always be on our guard. We must always pray for spiritual discernment. Sometimes being well-meaning can hinder a work. My final question then is, how can we overcome? I've hinted at these things as I've gone through the various hindrances of Satan, and I haven't covered the whole area. I'm just scratching the surface. But how can I deal with these things? Very, very quickly, uh, just drawing to a conclusion. The first thing, the devil isn't in control. Do you believe that? It doesn't sound as if you do. Do you, do you believe that the devil is in control? No, he's not. King Jesus is. And there is something that we have the name of Jesus Christ. Let me give you this uh, account. I was once in a meeting in uh, Samalkot in Andhra Pradesh in India. And after the meeting, a girl was brought to us and she was frothing at the mouth. And Basker, I think, mentioned the name of Jesus several times. And the girl got incensed. I don't know if that was a case of demon possession. But the name of Jesus Christ, the devil hates. And there is a place to pray when in the spiritual battle, in Jesus' name. Do we pray that? In Jesus' name. I'm praying against you, Satan. In Jesus' name. Jesus is the one who is victorious. On the cross, Jesus Christ conquered the devil. We're on the victory side. So that's one thing. And then there's a verse in Revelation. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He can use others. He can even use other Christians to accuse. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Show him the blood. I know it was legend that uh, with uh, a vampire you showed a crucifix. In order to drive the vampire away. But the principle there surely is from the Bible. That what drives the devil away when he comes with his accusations. Is the cross not a crucifix. But faith in a crucified conquering saviour. Show him the blood. At the name of Jesus Satan's host doth flee. And when you show a crucified Jesus. He's got no ground. He's got no accusation. And then something else that you do. Pray in Jesus' name that the devil will be bound. I remember somebody praying that in a prayer meeting here a few months ago. I was amening in my heart. We pray that the Lord will bind Satan. Hasn't he been given enough of a leash these last few years? Don't you want to see the kingdom of Satan beginning to diminish and the kingdom of Christ going forwards in leaps and bounds. Don't you? Let's pray that the devil might be bound. Let's pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the name of our Savior might be lifted high. 
I can, I can pray with my heart. It doesn't matter what church you're from, if you're listening, how wacky maybe uh, some of your practices are. If you're praying that the kingdom of Satan will be thwarted and the kingdom of Christ will grow, I'm with you, I'm with you. And when the devil comes, resist him, resist him. It's not easy. Who said it was? But resist him, holding on to the promises, holding on to the shield of faith. And then pray for protection. That's why I was shaking like a leaf as I was leading the service. Pray for the protection of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Because the devil doesn't want us to be aware of this dimension. And then I'll just close with this verse. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. May we realize that, and we're on the victor's side, and we're going to sing now, onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus. If this is an assembly hymn for you, just banish those thoughts from your mind. This is a grand hymn of victory. 714, if you're listening at home.
Father, we started this meeting with the name of Jesus and we want to finish it with his name. And keep us looking unto Jesus. The devil doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to get discouraged and distracted and divided. And we pray, O oh God, that however much he may try to hinder the work, we praise thee that he will not destroy it. And we even thank thee for the hindrances because Paul would not have written this letter unless he had been hindered. And so we thank thee for bringing good, even out of that difficult circumstance. And we are confident that whatever difficulties we may have been through, much good will come. And we want to say, glory be to Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen. <clears throat>